how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. George Gallo sold his first screenplay at age 19, despite not knowing anyone in the business. The movie never got made, but he got his lucky break. Eventually, one of Gallo's scripts did get made, the comedy crime movie Wise Guys, starring Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo, which revolved around two errand boys for the mob. This was the beginning of the string of action comedies from the screenwriter-director. Following the tough movies with humor category, he eventually sold scripts for movies like Midnight Run, Bad Boys, The Whole Ten Yards, Middleman, and most recently, Vanquish and The Comeback Trail. In this interview, Gallo talks about how technology now influences heist plots in movies, how to write action sequences, lifelong relationships with Morgan Freeman and Robert De Niro, and why it's more challenging to get an original script made today. What originally attracted me to writing and directing, you know, I started out, I was a, you know, when I was a kid, I was drawing and I was painting and uh, I loved movies as a kid. My dad, my dad loved movies. We used to watch them together uh, a lot. I remember uh, my dad introduced me to Humphrey Bogart movies and, uh, you know, Sam Spade and all of that. And, uh, my one of my dad's favorite movies was The Treasure of Sierra Madre, which I watched with him as a kid, and I just I fell in love with with movies. I I I didn't think, you know, when I was a kid that I would end up making them, you know. But as I got more into my teens, uh, I started imagining the idea of making films as a possibility. I. I uh, I went. I, I bought. Uh, I bought a Super 8 camera. There was a Super 8 sound camera uh, called a GAF 805, and it it it, uh, it it was it had a little sound stripe, a magnetic stripe on the side where you could record sound. And I started making movies with my friends when I was like 15, 16, 17 years old, and and I just I kind of fell in love with it. And then I I didn't know. 
at one point in my life that I really want to be a filmmaker, that I want to be a musician, and I'm also a painter. I didn't know what I really wanted to be. And I started writing screenplays just kind of as a goof, you know, to see if I, if I could even write. And then I sold the screenplay. I, I didn't know anyone in Hollywood. I sold the screenplay when I was 19 years old, which that was a whole, how that even happened was sort of crazy. It was completely by, a lot by chance, to be honest with you. But, uh, and the movie never got made, but I, I suddenly had, a, you know, a possible vocation as a screenwriter. So then I just started writing a lot of scripts and, all through my 20s, I wrote lots of screenplays and got lots of rejections, And but I just kept writing and writing and writing. And then when I was in my 20s, the first one that got made was Wise Guys. And that sort of was the beginning of my screenwriting career. If you're kind of looking back, like, how, do you have or do people describe your genre a certain way? Is it mainly action comedy? Are there other elements that make up one of your scripts? Well, I would say the more successful ones were certainly action comedies. You know, I, I have to tell you, uh, when you're younger, these, these influences come into your life, you know, um, and you get, I think because when you're a teenager, let's say you're possibly your most impressionable, you know, in a lot of ways and, and vulnerable and everything seems new and you're in this uh, sort of very uh, hyper state of discovery, uh, there were a few movies I saw around the time I was 15, 16 years old. I think that had a very lasting impression on me. Uh, one is a very kind of obscure film that not a lot of people know, but it was called The Hot Rock. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, it was with Robert Redford and George Siegel. And in, in the movie, it was directed by Peter Yates and it was written by William Goldman. And it's, it's sort of a hidden gem, you know, I mean, it's funny to say gem of hot rock, but it's a, it was about a couple of diamond thieves and they kept stealing a diamond and they kept losing it. And they had to keep re-robbing these new places wherever they lost the diamond. And it was just hysterical. And I remember seeing it with an audience, you know, uh, in, in a movie theater and I, and people were just belly laughing. And, I was belly laughing, and it was so much fun. This sort of these sort of inept criminals. I I, I can't tell you it, it, it. It's sort of like a bell that got rung. That's still that's still ringing. You know, it's still resonating in me. And uh, and then a few years later, there was another movie. I, I, it was very. Uh, now I was just out of high school. I think when this movie came out, the uh, the original taking of Pelham One Two Three. I I just loved that movie, and I I remember it was this action movie with a very dark premise, you know, that had such there was such a wonderful sense of humor about all of it, and all very very tough movie that had a lot of humor, and and again I I I just got very drawn in by those types of stories. And, and those are the sort of movies that I, I, I felt that I wanted to emulate, you know, that kind of storytelling. Do you think some of the, like, maybe cops and robbers or heist films today are more difficult to write 
maybe just because of technology or like our audiences are smarter. Like a lot of people just go ahead and set it in the eighties just to save that time. Do you have any, you know, modern challenges with technology over the years? Well, and it's very interesting to say that I, uh, I have a tendency, you know, because of, you know, my age, uh, you know, growing up, you know, when there were no computers or stuff, you know, you know, my storytelling uh, instincts are are very sort of let's say classical, you know, in structured, and and uh, a lot of times I'll come up with an idea, and then the next thing I have to ask myself, okay, can I get away with that today? You know, so um, it is more difficult because there we are certainly more observed than we were then. You know, the cameras are everywhere. There's, uh, you know, it's hard to, you know, everyone can track us through a cell phone. You know, it's, uh, you know, cars have devices on them. So, yeah, I would say so. Um, uh, you know, luckily, I, I haven't written one lately. I, I have, you know, uh, I haven't really written one lately. So I haven't, uh, I haven't had that problem. I mean, you know, Vanquish, the whole thing is about being watched. You know, uh, there's almost like there's a certainly like a voyeuristic element to it in that uh, everywhere she goes, Morgan is watching, you know. Um, but uh, that's, that's a great question. Where did the idea for Vanquish come from? Well, it was originally Sam Bartlett wrote the original script. And when I read it, I thought of Morgan. Uh, playing the character of Damon, and then I, I asked Morgan if he would do it. This is my third movie with Morgan. We'd become best buddies. And and uh, we just really like working with each other. I mean, um, you know, I've made a lot of movies now, you know, blessed enough to keep working, you know, and, and uh, obviously he's done a tremendous amount of work. So when you get kind of like, guys who've done it a bunch of times together it, it's just very easy like you know we we get the drill we don't make the same mistakes we would have we would have made you know 20 30 years ago and and it's there's just an ease you know uh working together with him um but to answer your question uh, once morgan got on board uh the storyline changed fairly substantially, you know, it still took place in one night and there was still was the kidnapping element. But, um, in the original draft, uh, the Ruby character was, uh, uh, Victoria was more, I would say more of a victim than, than, uh, than she is in this version. And, um, I didn't want to just watch it, you know, I didn't want to make a movie about a sort of a woman being victimized by, you know, a powerful male. I wanted her to just to be equally as badass, if not more. And, and, uh, so that, that, uh, the script evolved in that way, you know, in regards to Ruby's character. And then I had no idea. I was like, who's going to play this person, you know? Uh, but, uh, someone suggested Ruby. And then I met with her, and then after like a couple of minutes, I just knew, you know, she. I wanted to make it believable that she was doing these things, you know, because at the end of the movie there is a uh, an emotional payoff, and I wanted that to resonate. And I figured, well, if that 
payoff is going to work at the end, the movie has to stay somewhat believable. Otherwise, it's going to just seem, you know, kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you know, um, so it's not like John Wick, you know, where he kills like a million people, you know, in each movie. You know, it, it, I wanted to, I wanted you to, and I love those movies, okay? Yeah, I love those films, but uh, I didn't want this to be that. I wanted this to be more like you believe, you kind of believe the universe that you're in. So you mentioned John Wick, like with scripts like that, I haven't read that one, but I have trouble imagining it's more than like 40 pages. Like how much, when you write a, when you write a story that's got a lot of action in it, how much action do you actually write? How much do you leave that to like choreographers or the director? I know sometimes you're the writer and director. So what does some of the action look like on the page from some of your scripts? Well, it's interesting you said that because this screenplay you know, the movie's 90, whatever it is, 93 minutes. I don't think the screenplay was ever, we kept cutting it back and cutting it back, you know, because there's a lot of, uh, I, I would have to say that the shooting script on this in the end was probably about 65 pages. And because a lot of these movies, you know, a movie like this, a lot of it's style, you know, and I never got a chance to do a movie like this before. I always wanted to. You know, I was always uh, like the movie I did before this was a that that's coming out in June. It's coming out in theaters. It's this big comedy. So, it, with the I don't know if you're familiar familiar with it. It's called the Comeback Trail with Robert De Niro and and uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Morgan Freeman again. And and it, but it's just a big ridiculous comedy, and a lot of it there is some action in it. But a lot of it is just dialogue, you know. With this movie, there's a lot of time in that she pulls up in her motorcycle, she gets off the motorcycle, she walks into a creepy-looking place, she walks through it for like three, four minutes screen time with her gun drawn, you know. So those things on paper, they might be half a page, but you know it's like, if you wrote every little beat, it'd probably be three, four pages, you know? So I, although it's very hard to convince a financier that a 65 page free play is going to be a hundred minutes, you know, they just get used to thinking that it's a minute a page, but that's not the case. And I was lucky in that the producer and I are friends and that he trusted me and the financier trusted me so that when I said, look, this, Chase scene through the port's probably going to be about seven or eight minutes. They just said, "Okay, just go shoot it," you know. So, you know, uh, and and a lot of stuff too. Like with this, with this movie, this movie was a little different in that it evolved quite a bit while we were shooting. Um, you know, a, a lot of the sets were just about everything in the movie was a practical location, and you know, sometimes, like, you know that big warehouse with all that crazy stuff in it, and the clown faces, and the pianos, and the, the big devil face with the light? That was actually a, a rental house for, for movies and carnivals. And we went there to pick up some, some stuff. And thankfully, I was with the production designer, and I said, let me get out and stretch my legs. You know, and they were picking up some props. And I walked into that giant warehouse and I said, why the hell aren't we shooting in here? Look at this place. 
this place is nuts. I mean, I was never in the strip. So we asked the rental house. We said, you know what? Can we shoot here? And they were like, yeah, sure. Nobody's ever shot in here before. So, I mean, just all those wonderful props from Western movies and, and uh, you know, like I said, the, the movie was shot in the South. So they have a lot of carnivals and stuff down there. And all of that stuff was from some various carnival rentals and stuff. So I just, to put all those things in, in, in an image, I thought were just wild, you know. Well, so it sounds like you're you're pretty flexible about the shots and that type of thing. Um, do you, as far as those like long takes or maybe those like long walking scenes you mentioned, do you just kind of overshoot and cut back in editing, or how do you plan for some of that to make sure you've got everything you need? Well, you know, you're never alone as a filmmaker. I mean, I've done enough movies to know pretty much everything I've that I need, you know. And then, thank God, you've always got a cameraman. You know, like uh, a toss, you know, NF toss is, I've worked with him many times now. So we kind of have a, uh, you know, between us, you know, we know, okay, we have to get this, 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 this. Oh, that's cool. Let's get that. You know, let's get. So, you know, we certainly have a, a shot list, you know, that we want to get. And then, and then we're flexible. I mean, I think the most important thing is, you have to know what the intent is of what you're trying to do all the time so that, you know, you're not making three different movies at the same time. You know, so like we say, okay, this is what the movie is. This is a very specific point of view in this film. You know, the, this movie is about X, Y, and Z. And then we follow that. And then anything that feeds into that idea we'll experiment with, you know, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it all depends on how you want to tell the story. You know, like some movies, I'll do very long takes. Like uh, the, the movie I did before this was a lot more about longer takes and people walking into their own close-ups and walking away because it was it, it was a comedy and I wanted to get the rhythms almost like a stage play. You know, um, so I shot that completely different than this movie, which is more about you know, cuts and cuts and cuts and reintroducing new information and kind of keeping you on edge. So uh, every time you make a cut, you know, it's a, it's a new camera position. So, uh, you know, it's a different way to tell a story. It's fun to change it up. You know, I mean, look, as a, as a, as a, as a filmmaker, I always kind of saw myself as a journeyman filmmaker. You know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I haven't been stuck making the same kind of movie over and over again, you know, uh, you know, I get to do an action movie. I get to do a comedy. You know, I get to do a thriller. I mean, it, it's it's fun, you know, because otherwise, I would imagine it could get pretty tedious, you know. Was it kind of coincidence these two movies are coming out? Like, when did you write and shoot the comeback trail as opposed to Vanquished? Or is it just like part of the quarantine? Like, how did all this kind of, you've kind of got two movies coming out at the same time almost? Yeah, I mean, Comeback Trail's been finished for a year. It's it's the the deal is that it's supposed to be in theaters, so it's supposed to be on twenty four hundred screens. So when the when the COVID hit, everything just went on hold, you know. And then in the meantime, well, the movie's been just sitting there. The movie's terrific. I, I'm very proud of it. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a really fun really over the top, almost kind of Mel Brooks in places. It's just silly. Um, do you know what the movie's about? 
Yeah, I did watch the trailer. So it looked to me, it looked kind of like the producers meets Hooper or something like that. Or I really like the Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's really what it is. Meets Blazing Saddles almost. It, it's uh, it's uh, yeah. Robert De Niro plays. It takes place in the 1970s. He's this just horrible, horrible grindhouse movie producer who makes the worst movies in the world. And uh, he owes so much money to his financiers who are very questionable criminal type of people that he sort of, he's got to get out from under and he comes up with this idea that he's going to heavily insure an actor and try to kill him in a stunt to collect the insurance money. So he goes to this old actor's home and he finds Tommy Lee Jones, who's this sort of drunken, you know, ex-superstar, but he hasn't worked in 30 years and he's completely suicidal. And De Niro goes, oh, this guy's perfect. I'll kill him. He wants to die. So he sets him up, you know, to, to, to kill him in his stuff, but he doesn't realize he's given him the will to live again. And now they can't kill him. <laughs> so it, it's a lot of fun. He keeps surviving all these stunts. And uh, so it's a fun movie. But yeah, that movie's been finished for a year. And so it's supposed to come out in June now, now that the theaters are reopening. I know you've written some other comedies. Was this one a little bit different for you? Like, like, are you concerned if, you know, De Niro's character is empathetic or not? Or is it more about the genre of film? Well, you know, it, it's funny. I, I always think to myself that there's always a... Um, there's always a danger. This is a very interesting writing dilemma. You know, there's always a danger of, of I find when one gets into worrying too much about whether or not a character is going to be, uh, let's say empathetic to an audience. I think all you have to do is make the character relatable. That's all you really have to do. I mean, a, per- a person can act despicably in a comedy as long as you understand the motivations, you know, that he's so desperate that he's not thinking straight anymore because he's not a bad guy. You know, he's a terrible film producer and he's, cert- well, he's certainly a hustler in the movie. He's a pathological liar, which be honest with you, I've yet to meet a film producer that's not a pathological liar. I mean, it's the nature of that beast, you know? And, you know, I mean, people will look at you with sincerity and tears in their eyes, and, you know, and they're just hustlers. That's what they do for a living, you know? But I, if, I, if I could digress for one second, you know, De Niro and I, because we're, we're, we're very good friends and we go back so many years, and he, he started in the business ahead of me, he knew a lot of the people that I was referencing in the movie. So that's why he was interested in playing the character. He was like, I know exactly who some of these guys are, you know, because uh, we've been victimized by them early on in our careers, you know. But um, as long as the, the audience understands why the person is behaving the way they are, you know, he's doing this by threat of death. You know, he, he owes so much money to so many people. Who are threatening to kill him? So out of desperation, you'll cook up a scheme, you know. So um, I, I, the question I always ask myself is, are, is this character relatable? You know, what would we do in these same circumstances? You know, would we, 
you, you know what I'm saying? So you, you sort of giggle with delight at their evil behavior. But, you know, at the same time, there is some humanity in the person because we understand what's motivating them. So you've been writing since you were 19. Um, what's what's kind of changed about the process? Are, are the ideas more high concept? Like, like, how do you know when something is worth pursuing or that type of thing? I'll be honest with you, I don't. You know, I... I, I, you know, I've written a lot of scripts that I couldn't give away. I mean, I've written a lot of screenplays, you know, I mean, I, I, I write kind of habitually. Um, and, and I, I think some of the better things I've written never got made. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it has changed a great deal the model of the movie business. There's not really a movie business the way there used to be. Um, it, it, you know, it used to, and, and when I was starting out, when I first moved to Los Angeles, which was in the eighties, the idea of writing the original screenplay, you know, really was like the rage, you know, who came up with a great idea for a movie, an original concept for a movie, you know, now it's all, based on IP, you know, they, they're not interested in an original screenplay. You say original screenplay today, people hide under their desk, you know, they're not interested. So in a funny way, I, about five, six years ago, I was wondering, well, am I finished? Should I retire? Am I done? Because I like coming up with something new if I could, you know, uh, um, but I got lucky in that I started to realize, well, if I want to do original content or, you know, stretch a little bit in terms of storytelling, I could just make these really cool independent movies. And once I thought, you know, I mean, I have a history as a screenwriter, certainly, and I've written some successful movies, you know, I could just scale them back somewhat and, and just make smaller movies that were really cool. And I do have talent relationships because I've been doing this forever. So I'm, I'm lucky in that I could write a really cool independent movie and then just pick up the phone and call people that I've worked with and say, look, I'm, I really want to make this movie. It's different. You know, it's different enough. It's not the same old stuff. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I can, I could put together a good cast, you know I mean? With comeback trail, that was a screenplay that I wrote that I showed, <clears throat> I showed it around at some studios and they just said, it's very funny, but no one's ever going to make this movie. And then I was like, oh, you know what the hell with that? I, I still want to make it. So I called up actors that I knew. And they all said yes. So then suddenly, you know, then suddenly I had a movie, you know. You've worked on some, you know, pretty big studio films and worked with other writers and worked as a director. Do you have any advice for like novice writers entering today about how to be flexible, how to take those notes and then still make the best script they can with it? Well, that's always a difficult thing. You know, um, you know, I would go, you know, it's, it depends, you know, it's, it's a, like a situation by situation basis. You know, I, I don't really know the answer to that part of being a young writer is being stubborn. You know, I think, and I was as stubborn as it got, you know, probably stubborn to the point where it got me into trouble at times. 
you know, the, that you think that anyone that doesn't see it the way you see it is just an idiot. Uh, that's not really true. As you get older and more seasoned, you know, I think you realize that other people are completely entitled to their points of view, but that's something that comes with age, you know, and, and that there are different ways to interpret something. And I think if you respect the person you're working with, then it, it would certainly, it would certainly uh, be wise to listen you know, it, it, unless the person you're working with truly is an idiot, you know, which which can be the case from time to time, you know. Um, making a movie is uh, it's a learning process, you know. There's, uh, there's a lot of pitfalls uh, along the way, you know, directors have ideas. You know, it's really funny. Directors have ideas, and then you get that draft all in shape and then an actor comes on board and says, no, 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 we're not doing that. And then, uh, then it changes again, you know, so it's, uh, I've been very blessed in that I've gotten to avoid a lot of that, but I've tried to be smart enough to maneuver through those things. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's in terms of giving, Writer's advice. I, I I don't know what I would say exactly. I, I I think you have to somehow be patient and 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 realize that if someone's paying you a fortune, you know, for a screenplay, that they're going to have something to say about it. You know, <laughs> you know, no one's just going to give you a million dollars and say good luck. I hope this works out for everybody concerned. You know, I mean, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna cash the check, you gotta you know, you gotta go along with what's coming, you know. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these two hundred plus interviews and more at Brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.